being beloved. Well, if you're a fan of Ernest Hemingway um, and you read some of his short stories, one of them is The Capital of the World. Familiar with that? Remember back to your high school days? Come on. Um, the Capital of the World, it starts with um, telling a Madrid joke of Paco. Uh, Paco is a very, very common name in Madrid. Um, but Paco and his father are estranged. There's conflict. And so Paco leaves, goes to Madrid. The father, in pursuit, deciding he really wants to bring them back together to be reconciled. And so shows up. But you're in this massive city, so many people. And so he pays the local newspaper to run an ad that says, basically, like, hey, meet me at this place at this time because all is forgiven. And the problem is they have to call in the National Guard because at that time, at that place, 800 Pacos show up wanting to be reconciled to their father. We want to be made right. We want to be made right. And we're in this book, Philemon, um, that, is, that is a book about being made right, about reconciliation. So Paul, this early apostle, he's an apostle to the Gentiles. He's a church planter doing the work like they're about to go do in Japan. And he's trying to spread this gospel, this good news that there's a God who loves us in grace so much so that God the Son came and he lived a sinless life, died the death that you and I deserve as the ultimate final sacrifice to atone for our sins and bring us back, reconciling us back to be back with God. He wants the world to know that. And so he knows this guy named Philemon who happens to be wealthy. He's wealthy enough that he has a house church meeting in his home. He's a man of means and he has at least one slave, if not many. One of them is named Onesimus. But Onesimus ran away from Philemon and encounters Paul at some point, becomes a believer, another brother in Christ. So you have Paul, a Christian, Philemon, a Christian, and Onesimus, a Christian. Philemon and Onesimus have been estranged. He ran away from his master, and he encounters Paul, and Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon, but he's first sending a letter saying, I'm sending him back, but receive him back differently. Do the right thing. Choose to do the right thing in light of the gospel as an act of worship. Do the right thing. He wants them to be reconciled. And so we pick up now in Philemon, verse 15 and 16. If you want to turn in your copy of scripture, or you can look on the screen behind me. Philemon 15 and 16. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but much more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me, but in how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And maybe you haven't heard the voice of God this week. Listen. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? Perhaps this is why. Now, do you need to hear that today? Perhaps this is why. Do you have a lot of questions about whatever is happening in life right now? And could you just hear the Spirit of God saying through the Apostle Paul, Perhaps this is why. That we as followers of Jesus are people of substance. We are people of depth. That meaning matters to us. That purpose matters to us. And so we are perpetually asking the question, why? And as we ask the question, why? We look for the redemptive fulfillment that is found only in God's sovereign providence. That God is actually at work in all things for our good and his glory. We trust in that. And so we're also honest in that to say, I believe it to be true that God is at work. And so perhaps this is why, but I don't fully know or understand. 
And that's okay. It is okay and it's actually necessary for us to be honest about the fact that sometimes life does not make sense. We don't understand everything, but we still have hope and we still believe, we still trust God to be good and to be at work in all things, even awful things. And so Paul sees this and he says, perhaps this is why. He's looking for the why. And it's about a relationship that has gone wrong. And let's acknowledge that relational pain is often the worst pain that we experience. When I think back, and I'm not saying this is true for all of us, but I think it's generally true for most of us. When I think back on my life, and what are the most hurtful things that have happened to me? I've had some physically hurtful things happen to me. Um, namely, most of you don't, or most of you do know, I'm deaf, legally deaf in my left ear, because I had a greeting with a car when I was on a bicycle, and I was young and thought I didn't need a helmet. And so it was very, very painful. I do not, I do not enjoy that at all. A lot of severe physical pain across my body. I still wake up when the weather changes and all that stuff and remember that day because that day affects this day and will for the rest of my life. But that pain is nothing compared to some of the relational pain that I've experienced in my life. I can still do the verbatim playback in my mind of moments where some kind of relationship turned and I just feel that pain. It's deep. But even that pain, God can and does use redemptively. We can still trust him. We can still have hope in that. That perhaps this is why. And what is he saying? He's saying perhaps this is why for a brief time you're separated. But now you get him back permanently, Philemon. Now think about this. He's coming back more than a slave. He's coming back as a brother in the Lord. Oh, do you know how much he means to me? but even more so for you, and both in the flesh and in the Lord, that you're getting him back permanently. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, he was a slave, which means, again, this is not chattel slavery. We're going to talk about this a lot next week. People could willingly place themselves into the, the position of a slave. And so he may have been born, he may have been purchased, he may have willingly volunteered, like it actually helped me with some upward mobility to become your slave. We don't know how he got into that place, but he was in the position of slave under master. He had no right to run away, and yet he did. And so there was this temporary separation, and Paul says, but now he's coming back permanently, but not just as a slave, as a brother. But look at the beauty of this, Philemon. This could be the turning point, that you do not view him as this temporary transactional relationship where it's likely that at some point he can purchase his freedom or he will fulfill his obligation to you and you will part ways. He will no longer be a slave under you. That's possible and probable in this context. We're saying, no, 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 no. He's coming back as more than a slave. He's coming back as a brother that forever, for all of eternity, what is going to mark and bind you together is love in Christ, that now he's a part of the same family as you. And so this is a turning point that God can redemptively use for you to see, no, 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 he's so much more. And so, beloved, today, I need you to think, do you have people in your life that they're just, they're just there? It's a, it's a working relationship, and it's going to serve its purpose, and it's going to serve its time, and then it's done. Maybe it's the barista where you get coffee all the time. Maybe it's your coworker that just makes you cringe a little every time you hear their voice. Maybe it's someone in your own family. Maybe it's on your team. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is, but it's everyone. Everyone that you come into contact with. As Peter preached um, in, in the book of Acts, he says, like, God established the boundaries in which we would dwell so that we could tell other people, like, God is not far if you just reach out. 
Everywhere that you go, God is in control of that. He has you there intentionally so that you could help others to know God. And so think about the people that we just kind of pass by and don't give another thought to. Or maybe we give another thought and it's like, oh, that's an enemy. Oh, And what if perhaps this is why God has you there, that you could stop viewing them as someone to just help you in whatever you need or want in that moment or for that season, but instead to see that is a potential brother or sister in Christ for all of eternity. That maybe I get to play a role in welcoming them into the family of God so that we would have this relationship of love forever. Who are the people in your life? But if nothing changes, they would just remain nothing more to you than what they currently are, but they could become a brother or sister in Christ forever. Paul is trying to help Philemon see that because what he wants to do is strengthen the Christian community there. He wants to bolster this. He wants to strengthen community because community is important to him. A community is actually a discipline that Jesus modeled for us. And so if you're newer to Beloved, uh, what we do is we emphasize one of the spiritual disciplines or habits of grace each month. And so we want to practice them all year round, but every month we say, this is the one we're really focusing in on. And so we have discipline practicing partnerships that in January, you'll get covenant cards. We'll ask you, find one or two people that you can say, hey, for 30 minutes a week, we're going we're gonna to talk together. It may be a phone call. It may be a group of texts. It may be in person, walking down the trail, meeting at a coffee shop or whatever it is. But we say, for 30 minutes, let's just disciple each other. And in those conversations, you focus on the discipline of the month. You know what this month is? It's community. It's community. And this is how we have kind of summarized the discipline of community. We say that the discipline of community is an acknowledgement that we are created as social relational beings as made in the image of the triune God who has enjoyed community throughout eternity. It is in community that we carry out the one another commands of scripture. We participate in community, remembering that God made us a new people for his glory, not just new persons, that we need each other. And having the church, being in community is such a gift from God. And Paul knew that. And he's sending Onesimus back saying, I want community to be stronger than ever. So see him as a brother. Paul's writing this letter, strengthening community. But as he puts that into motion, he's doing a particular type of work. It's a type of work that he himself would reference as the ministry of reconciliation. He would call this the ministry of reconciliation or being made right together. Reconciliation is defined as the restoration of friendly relations. And Paul engaged in that. Why? Why would he do such a thing? He tells us explicitly in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you'd like to turn there with me. It'll be on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 18, it says, Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We've been given the work, the ministry of reconciliation that we would plead with the world on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
The reconciliation is possible. You can actually have restored friendly relations with God, the God of the cosmos, the creator of all things. This is the gospel, that God has reconciled us to himself, that God who created us was then offended by us as we, his creation, rebelled against him. We disobeyed and we decided, I'll be my own God. I want the knowledge of good and evil. Instead of trusting you, I will take that. I'll put myself in your place, God, the only one who is truly good. And in that, this relationship was fractured. It's broken. It's marred by sin. God is holy, and we have become unholy. We have been set apart in a bad way. And now he is still holy, and he's just. And so there is due punishment for our sin. There is a consequence for creator to come and see his creation rebel against him. There is just consequence. There is punishment. There is wrath. And it is rightly so due on us, us rebels, whose scripture says are dead now in sin, that we could not even make ourselves alive if we wanted to. Because dead men can't just decide, I'm going to wake up and be alive. But God, in grace, in love, and mercy, says, I love you, and I choose you. And I want you to be back with me. I want reconciliation. That God wants us to be back in restored, friendly relations with him. And so he made it happen through sending the son that Jesus, God the son, would come and be born of a virgin and he would live a life that completely fulfilled the law. He didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it, to be the perfect, true human when we cannot. But he's not just the true human, he's also God. And so he is the God-man and he is the ultimate sacrifice. That though he never did anything wrong, he was murdered by his own creation the creator nailed to a cross because all things were created through him and by him and for him. Nailed to a cross, he died. And in dying, he had taken our sin on himself. All of the punishment that comes with that was placed on him. He bore our iniquities. He died with them, putting them to death. The power of sin and all of its consequences taken on Jesus. But then he rose again victorious on the third day, just like he had predicted. He came back to life. Having conquered sin and death, he stands victorious and he is seated now on a throne because it is done. It is done. The work has been completed. And yet, now we live in this already, not yet, that we're waiting and trusting as we see Jesus is our salvation. We throw ourselves on the mercy of God, believing and confessing Jesus is Lord. He died and he was raised back to life. And so the promise of scripture is we shall be saved because we wait for the completion of our salvation. It's as good as done and yet it is not done. And we wait longing for that day when he finishes the work that he started in us to reconcile us to bring us back into friendly relations with God. That is what he has done. That is the work of this ministry of reconciliation, to be made right back with God. And yet, now it extends out. It extends out because we are called to see the world reconciled to God. Hemingway's story of Paco. In Madrid, this, this father and son that are estranged, they ultimately come back together. And yet there's still all this friction, all this turmoil. As you get to the end of the story, um, Paco has moved in with some roommates and his father is there and they start to fight and just like fury of the moment, this passion wells up in him and Paco pulls a knife and hurls it at his father and he misses 
he misses his father, and that knife sinks into the chest of his friend and roommate. Friends, what a tragic story. As we consider that our conflict between two parties overflows and affects a third party. Think, ah, that's something to think about. But the opposite is true, too. That if you reverse this, that two parties that are at peace, that are reconciled, can overflow and affect a third party. And that is this work. That is what Paul is doing here with Philemon and Onesimus. He's saying, look, you have been reconciled to God. That reconciliation that you have with God, that peace that you have, the friendly relations you have with God, now overflows in you. What do you have to be afraid of? Go live like that is true. And that means you can be at peace with other people. That means you can be a peacemaker like Jesus has called you to be. That you can step into the midst of conflict and you can say reconciliation is possible, guys. There's a better way here. Let's follow Jesus in it. That we can be people like that. That we can engage in the work, the ministry of reconciliation. That primary in that is world, be reconciled to God on behalf of Christ. See what Christ has done. But now, in an overflow of that, we can pursue peace. We can pursue reconciliation because the ministry of reconciliation has become our own. The ministry of reconciliation has become our own. But what does it look like? What does it look like to engage in this ministry of reconciliation? Is it reparations? We hear that. Um, racial tensions have, have increased in recent years or at least become more visible. And we hear ideas of reparation, like, is there a dollar amount that we could put on this and say, if we pay the, the hurt party a dollar amount, then things would be well. And it's like, no, that's, that's not going to work. That's, that's not going to work. Is it just a formal apology? Is it just constantly, incessantly saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry? No, just saying I'm sorry is not going to work. Is it justice through equity and pain? Like, hear me clearly. You wronging me and me wronging you so that we both hurt is not making things right. That's not what reconciliation is. The aim of reconciliation is to make things right, not just to feel this equality or equity and wrongdoing. It's to make things right. It's to restore friendly relations. And hear this clearly. Reconciliation is not the same as just moving on. It's not. I, I saw a video that I thought was quite comical. Of a husband and wife, they get into a conflict and it's just cold. Like, you know, the Cold War standoff. And like, how, how are we going to make this stop? And the husband has this idea. And so he starts going through the refrigerator and he's taking every jar, just tightening it down. Every jar. Put those lids on super tight. And he goes into every room, he's just slightly unscrewing the light bulb. Like, you know what's going to happen. Like, at some point, she's going to have to say, I need help. And, oh, finally, we can, we can move forward. That's not how this works. And let me be honest, I have struggled with this in my own marriage. You know how many times we have, we've got into a conflict, and, we're, and it's, just, it's just back and forth and all this stuff, and finally we're just like, let it rest, and we, and we walk away from it. And so after some time, she's like, yeah, just, just move on. Like, it didn't happen. And you know what happens every time we do that? The conflict recurs. Because reconciliation is not the same as just moving on from something. As scripture says, each of you speak the truth to your neighbor in love. We must say what is honest and actually address things in reconciliation to be made right together. We must do this work. Reconciliation is also not unwisely putting yourself in an unhealthy relationship. It does not mean that you willingly sign up to just be taken advantage of over and over and over. We have this tension of, yes, Jesus does say, turn the other cheek. 
When someone strikes you on one side, you turn the other and allow them to strike the other. And when they say, hey, carry my stuff for a mile, you go two miles. And when they say, hey, give me your cloak, you say, here, have my tunic as well. And what he's doing in that is you're actually putting on display that this is unjust. And I'm willing to actually suffer here in order to show you that there's a better way. Because reconciliation with God overflows horizontally. But even in doing that, it's actually this beautiful, countercultural, revolutionary way of saying, look, everybody, this is unjust. Because imagine if someone comes in here and is like beating up little Kevin. I know I'm small. I'm a wee little man. Somebody comes up here towering over me, and they're just pounding on me like, give me that coat, vest, whatever it is. And I take the vest off. And it's like, okay, this is jacked up. Like, somebody should help that poor little man up there on the stage. But then, before anyone can do anything, like, this is a really nice shirt. But this is a really nice shirt. Why don't you have it too? And I start taking my shirt off. I give him my shirt too. What is everyone in in audience going to think now? What is this? What is this madness? That someone could comply with an unjust demand, but then go beyond that. Do you see how powerful that is? How we can do that for each other, but it is not just unwisely placing ourselves continually in harm's way. This is the way that Paul said it in 2 Timothy, uh, the third chapter, the first five verses. He says, but know this, hard times will come in the last days, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. Avoid these people. Included in that list, those who are irreconcilable. There comes a point at which we say, you have rejected friendly relations. And so I don't lash out. I do not repay evil for evil but I will avoid you, but you will separate. And so reconciliation does not look like things that just address one facet, whether it be economically uh, uh, and emotional apologies, whatever it is. It's not pretending like things are okay and just moving on. It's not putting yourself in an unsafe position. What it does look like is what we see back in 2 Corinthians 5. If you go back to that, 2 Corinthians 5, Remember, what is he saying there? Everything is from God. Everything is from God. That can be really hard to accept. Everything is from God. And that does not make God culpable for evil. But if we can again see how Paul said, perhaps this is why. That we are people of meaning and substance. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So reconciliation looks like forgiveness. It's not counting their trespasses against them. Reconciliation looks like justice. There is justice involved. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin so that justice could be met. The penalty could be meted out. 
It looks like grace. Undeserved favor. It's we might become the righteousness of God. To become something we don't deserve. It's grace. And it's love. Implicit in all of this. Why would God do this? You hear the gospel. God loves you. And he's come for you to make a way for you to be restored back to right relationship with him. That reconciliation is possible. Would you put your faith in him? Believe he died. Believe he rose again. Believe he's calling you into life everlasting. So turn from your sin. Confess to be a sinner. Confess him to be Lord. And trust in him and his salvation. He is mighty to save. And salvation belongs to the Lord. Would you believe that? But then we ask, but why? (laughs) Why would he do such a thing? For God so loved the world. He sent his only son. That's why. Because he so loves us. Implicit in all of this work of reconciliation is love. If you do not love God and love neighbor, which Jesus said is the first and second greatest commands, then you'll never engage rightly in the work of reconciliation. That all of our work of reconciliation is just an overflow of us loving God and then loving other people. That I would so love, like, you know, we fast. We, we invite you into that. Our staff fasts every Monday, and we're asking for a couple of things. Top of the list for me is monthly baptisms. Like, let's be a church that cares so much about this community, knowing the Lord and seeing that there's everlasting life, there's great joy, life to the full, available in Jesus, that we would see people every single month being baptized and celebrate with them newness of life. But we are not going to get there by me offering classes, which I tried earlier this year, to better equip you on how to share the gospel. That's not what's going to do it. What's going to do it is each of us deciding and realizing how loved we are, that you are the beloved of God. And the more we realize how loved we are by God, the more we love him in return. And the more we love something, the more naturally we talk about it all the time. And so it's not this weird, like, how do I break the ice and bring up Jesus It's just, no, I want to talk about Jesus because I love him and I know how much he loves me and I know how much he loves you. Can we just talk about him? Because we love him. So we've got to love him more and we're going to naturally talk about him. It's love. The work of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation looks like loving God and loving your neighbor. Talk about what you love. Start a conversation about the Lord. And it may be awkward But awkward is actually beautiful because intimacy, real experienced love requires awkwardness because awkwardness only points to vulnerability and you never have intimacy without vulnerability. We can unpack that a lot. But awkward is good. Start with awkward. Don't be afraid of it. Talk about what you love. Talk about the Lord. Start the conversation and aim for the advancement of the gospel in all spheres of life. You go back to the beginning. Perhaps this is why someone that would have just been this transactional relationship and would have had a stop point now could be a brother forever. That those people in your life, that you think this is just somebody like they take my money, they swipe my card, they, they, they change my oil, they, they do whatever. They work in the next cubicle, whatever it is. Oh, what if we changed our view? That's a potential brother or sister in Christ that I could welcome into the family. What if we changed our view because we love them and we start a conversation? I would love to, to celebrate and be encouraged by stories of hearing your obedience. Um, I'm, I'm pretty young, but I so resonate with the Apostle John when he says, like, it brings him joy like none other to hear his children walking in obedience. This week, I learned of a story of the Pearson family who a few weeks back had this idea, like, you know, just think about it. What, what does it look like to be beloved? 
in the community. We have this idea. Let's invite all of our neighbors who, I don't know if you live in a neighborhood like mine, like we, we walk the block almost every day. And I still have probably never put my physical eyes on at least 75% of our neighborhood. Like you don't see them. Like, I don't know if anybody actually lives there. They might just like have a car that sits there. I don't know. But like we, we live in a day and age where people just don't naturally come out a lot and interact with each other. That's what the beauty of however you feel about Halloween, the beauty of that day is that people will actually engage their neighbors. I hope you took advantage of it. But this family, the Pearsons, they decided a few weeks back, let's invite our neighbors and just have this front porch party. I'm a little jealous that I wasn't invited, but I guess I'm not a neighbor, you know? Um, they, they cooked ribs, and, and people like potlucks out, just brought things out. They sent out 20 invitations. And you might be thinking like, yeah, that's, that's not happening. 15 of those invitations were received, and they came. And so their community largely is all together now in their front porch, in their front lawn, having this wonderful time. They said the only thing that stopped it was because darkness fell and the bugs came out. Florida. But, like, and, and, then, and then Reed was honest. He's like, you know, not a lot has changed, but I want to push back on it. Because the doors were open. He said now they get text messages, and there's the hi as they address each other, as they're out and see each other. But he said, you know, the door has been opened. Things like the next hurricane. They know they have neighbors that will help. This is what the work of reconciliation looks like. Actually caring about your literal neighbors and anyone else we come in contact with. And Jesus expanded our definition of neighbor to be even the person you hate. Your enemy is your neighbor. And so if we just love and then say, I'll take the first step here. This is the work. This is the ministry of reconciliation so that we can plead with the world on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God so that they can know the gospel, so they can live like we do with great joy that we are tethered to, that nothing can take that. And we have Christ. We have all of this. Paul saw a bad situation as possibly being God's beautiful way of changing a transactional relationship that dishonored Christ. Slavery. It dishonored Christ and it dishonored all involved, whether it's the slave or the master. No one is honored by slavery. Paul saw God using that, that awful thing, say, watch this, as it brings about something redemptive. So that relationship could now be marked by love for eternity, between God and man, and man to man, and light of that love from God to man. We engage in this same work. We are ambassadors for Christ, pleading with the world to be reconciled to God, beloved. Let's do this work. Let's do it joyfully. And we have this wonderful privilege to do this, to be ambassadors for Christ, the one who loved us so much that for the joy set before him, he endured the scorn of the cross because he loves you. You are loved. But will you believe this good news? And who can you share it with? Because I want to hear more stories of the way that we're engaged in the work of reconciliation. Pray with me. Father, thank you for these words that you've given to us, preserved, so that we would know your heart and the way that our hearts as your people should overflow for others. I ask for your strength, um, God, for, for creative ideas, Spirit. Would you move in our lives and give us ideas on how we could creatively engage in this work because we live in a weird community that thinks it knows the gospel and so much of it does not. 
So would you help us to break through those presuppositions, those misconceptions, all the things that stand as obstacles between people and their minds and their hearts actually loving you. Help us, God. We need you. We love you. And we thank you that you have reconciled us to yourself. And so help us, God, again, as we engage in this ministry of reconciliation. Pray this for your glory. And in the name of Jesus, whose name is above every other name. Amen.